0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.
1: Botox Cosmetic, Ata Botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.
0: For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit botoxcosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300.
1: Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit botoxcosmetic.com. That's botoxcosmetic.com.
0: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. the singer strike his arm and maybe the reactions of jay rodriguez
2: he's not open celebrating he maybe thinks i'm not going to get away with this
1: when i go home late at night this is a song that i really like to sing right now so i'll play it for you it's uh
0: called my old man Oh, no Gazi will never forget it. Oh, it's his night! On for Grealish. Oh, wonderful play here. Balassi. Abraham lost! And it is not his night. <laughs>
3: Welcome to the My Old Man Said Podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of My Old Joining me for the post baggies autopsy. Dan Rogers from the VillaUnderground.com and international DJ Chris Budd. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Good evening, gentlefolk. So, uh last time we spoke, uh, Mr. Rogers, yep. you were uh, you were telling us your plans of infiltrating the uh the smethick
0: Br- brummie road yeah, end
3: the bob taylor stand or some yeah you what stand did you go into
4: birmingham road end but brummie road end
3: brummie road end so so we were uh, talking about we were talking last uh, episode about ways you were uh, going in the in the home ending and getting away with it just go for the complete mad insanity i am <laughs> mad and i am insane a look i can pull off readily <laughs> <laughs> and the the other option which we didn't actually uh, talk about was that the chameleon uh, Routine where you basically become one of them. So uh, when uh, when they got that dubious equaliser, was it was it you running on the pitch celebrating the draw? (laughs) No, because just to fit in. Do you know
4: what I was? As mentioned in the last pod, I was I was feeling dreadfully unwell. And yep. that, that was the moment, uh, I think it was the 93rd minute where it became terminal for me and rigor mortis <laughs> set in because I, I think if the camera, I'd like to see the fan camera of that end of the ground because I must be the only person rigidly stood in disbelief <laughs> <leaf> whilst <laughs> the fucking world erupted around me. And for all those doubters who'd been sat around me, as I, I, I had a couple of moments in the game. One was where John McGinn thumped the post.
3: What about El Ghazi when he's hit that <sighs> rocket in?
4: It was it was a bit like your moment that you mentioned in the last pod yeah. at, at Highbury where you you were out of your seat and I was
0: like oh oh, god, oh I don't believe it <laughs> one of those sort of oh oh I don't believe it that's an outrage oh my god <laughs>
4: it was do you know what it was such a hard ninety minutes to watch unfold and and when that happened at the end oh god I can't even you can so were
3: me. you were you outed or did you manage to uh, slip out uh... no
4: I, I think there was a couple of suspicious. <laughs> Couple of suspicious people, and I think at that moment the guy who, who was immediately to my left, who i had been elbowing at, at guy Villa moments for ninety minutes, <laughs> <laughs> um, realised what I just gave the grimace like a Wallace and Gromit style.
1: Ah,
4: time to leave. And, and do you know, it was, was it was it was amazing what uh, sitting amongst them. I mean, I did have to obviously hide my hands because I don't have hooves for fingers and webbed feet or anything
3: like. That. He <laughs> wears mittens. Did you need a translation <laughs> book as well.
4: And, and but it's interesting to sit amongst um, sit amongst other other fans uh, of another club and what their perceptions of Villa are. They they hate Grealish. They were staggered by um, Glenn Whelan's out. receding hairline when he came onto the pitch. Or key <laughs> key things. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Right, well, uh, on the show, we'll obviously uh, talk about the, uh, the Baggies game and uh, debrief from that. And uh, we'll have a look at the, uh, the current form table and what kind of impact uh, Villa's form has actually made in the uh, promotion picture, whether it's automatic or the playoffs. And we also see the return of Where Were You When We Were Good? where well, we'll be going back to December 1995, where the only West Midlands derby in the Premier League at the time, was uh, Villa versus Coventry. No sign of the baggies, no sign of the blues, or those uh, wolves pretenders. So we'll look at the time uh, we tonked them 4-1. Back in the days where I I think they still hadn't won at uh, Villa Park for about 60 years. Well, they had never won at Villa Park. Those were the days. Those were the days. Anyway, first of all, three points. And the first point, the need for VAR, 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 V-A-R. And we'll start by connecting it to... uh, what happens in that fateful uh, injury time mm. at the Hawthorns? Two moments, actually. There was that ridiculous uh, foul throw where the mm. ball didn't even bounce into play before it entered the yeah. field of play. The referee, it was parallel with it. He wasn't even looking. There. The linesman also should have seen that. Oh, it just shows that they don't actually know the laws of the games. I mean, people, when it comes to foul throws, they say it's pedantic, but you know, rules are rules.
4: That was a ridiculous foul throw. It wasn't that like was, you could it say was proper Do you know what?
3: Sunday league, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was so a joke. bad. And then, obviously, uh, the ball's bundled in. And Nyland, because he's like Dracula when it comes to crosses, uh, obviously didn't get there. And, he, and he, when he attacked the ball, it was, the ball was so low. When he should have been up high and, and caught it, basically, is what I'm saying. And, uh, obviously, uh, Jay Rodriguez, he wasn't even sheepish. He didn't even expect to score that goal, did he? No, controlled it with his hand, and then put put it in, and he just laid there, knowing uh, this wasn't going to be given. wasn't much of a celebration from the Baggies players initially, and no, I mean nobody in the ground really thought that was a goal.
4: Well, I was stood five yards away, and I <laughs> I could assure you, the last thing I thought was that it was going to be given. the The crazy thing about it, about the whole thing, was you had that the the, the bonkers build up where even live that looked like a foul throw. It obviously leads into um, into the cross. And I have to say, Baggy, Albion's crossing have been woeful all night. Yeah. I don't think it was a great cross, but Nyland is so... He's, he allows so much space instead of attacking that cr- that cross, and like you say, it was at a nice height. He he's almost wants to allow the ball to come across him before collecting. And yeah. Rodriguez didn't ha- doesn't have to make doesn't have to change his run to get in front of him. He just puts his body in between, you know, yeah. puts his and puts his arms up. I think anticipating a stronger challenge that never comes from the keeper, sprawls it down, and then obviously knocks it in with his hands and. Uh, I mean, what 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 do you say? Really, that I think that the craziest thing about it is, we're, we're you know we're going to mention VAR. But I think the the the, the most alarming things uh, thing of all of this, if we're asking for VAR, va, 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 the the linesman, the referee's assistant, assistant has got a completely unobstructed, clear view of everything that happens. And completely misses it.
3: They had that little deliberation as
5: well. Oh, before. That they, makes uh, it worse. They've, they've yeah. clearly had a chat and gone, did you see what happened?
4: The guy's testicles receded into him in, in, in that moment and he couldn't give the decision. And it, uh,
3: Yeah, he completely bottled it. He did. Yeah, And that's the thing, it, it does cover up Nyland's weakness there. Because at the very least, he should have been out there, attacked the ball and punched it away before it... He should have just flattened him. The thing is, it's that is uh, the reason why you need promotion, because uh, waiting whoever's in the Premier League next season uh, is the introduction of uh, VAR. So uh, if there's an incentive... The irony is, obviously, the lack of VAR may cost us getting promoted. But uh, we'll see what happens in the second half of the season. But uh, I'd rather have it in. I mean, I've always advocated for it. And as long as it's implemented properly in terms of communicating to the supporters what's happening, and they obviously managed to uh, make the decisions quickly. And if you can watch it on TV and you know that was a humble straight off the bat, there's no need for 30 seconds uh, deliberation, is there? Well, I think everybody
5: would, in a moment like that, in such an important moment, you'd happily have the 30 seconds to get the right decision. You know, it works really well in rugby and they have huge stoppages, but they get the right decision and no one argues. It's the same in cricket. It's the same in other sports. And I don't think it would take 30
4: seconds either. I think that that, that's that's the thing with this decision is that it was such a bad call that I think if you have the fourth official in the referee's ear, because it wasn't the referee's fault in this instance. He has to look to his assistant for guidance. If he was unsighted, that's not his fault. But the fourth official watching that live, like every other human being with eyeballs that functioned, could see that that was a handball. Yeah, you know, for me, VAR is is for contemptuous decisions. The was it over the line? Was it? Over, wasn't it over the line? That sort of thing.
5: Every week there'll be something where, you know, VAR would have come in and solved it, and nobody would have argued about it. You know, there were maybe one or two, if I remember, in the World Cup, a couple of moments where there were borderline decisions or where they didn't go to VAR. But if it's there, I don't know why you wouldn't use it. And as you guys have said, for the, the goal on uh, against the baggies, it, you'd only really need like one, maybe two angles, two quick looks. Oh, yeah, that's clearly it. Great. Done. It's not one of these ones that's going to take you ages and it's a really borderline decision.
3: Yeah. Anyway, let's move on uh, to... Well, let's talk about the Premier League quickly. Oh, my gods, Liverpool are top of the league, unbeaten. I actually watched their game against Bournemouth. It's one of the first games I've... Yes, I've absolutely battered them didn't they as well it wasn't a four nil result if you know what i mean it was a bit closer it's just liverpool had a bit more going forward anybody who's of a certain generation would have uh, i mean i when i was born liverpool were champions and the last time they won the league was when villa were were in the title race with them uh, under graham taylor 1989 90 season and that was the last time they won it, which is incredible to think if you were around in those days because they won it, I think, 10 times in 15 seasons before that. That was the 10th time they won it in the last 15 seasons. The only teams to stop them was Everton twice, Forest, Villa, and uh, Arsenal. Uh, and that was that infamous uh, game where they needed to, Arsenal needed to win 2-0 in that last game at Anfield and nobody won at Anfield. And somehow they, uh, M- uh, Michael Thomas, uh, late, late, I think it was last minute. So, but that was probably one of the dramatic finishes I've seen Liverpool since have been Manchester United have overtaken middle league titles is it 2018 at the moment the current score I think so Yeah, I think it's been it a is, long time how would you feel I mean how, how do you feel about Liverpool yeah I mean to, to be
5: honest with you I don't I think it's good for Man City to actually have some like a proper challenger this year you know last year yeah. was so one-sided it was a joke um, and it's I think it'll be a really interesting sort of season the longer it goes on to see how Pep you know sort of reacts. I think it will definitely make the games when they play each other a bit more juicy because I think last season there, there were never really any what you'd call those really big championship six-pointer games because City were always, you know, they they started strong and were out from the word go. They were out, you know, yeah. way in front. It didn't really matter if they lost the odd game. I mean, I, I don't begrudge, you know, if, if you know Liverpool actually play really good football and they're a very good side... I don't mind Klopp. If they were to win the title, you'd say they're probably, they're probably a worthy winner because this Man City team are ridiculous. Uh, yeah. you know, would I? Would I look forward to uh, the the barrage of uh, Scouse aftermath? Probably not for the next fifteen years. But <laughs>
3: well, it's funny. It's it's like to me. Maybe it's because I'm a you know of a certain generation, but I still don't count Manchester City title wins as counting. <laughs> Because they've just bought it. I think everyone, everyone looks at Man City and in terms of
5: nobody will treat them as one of the big boys until they do it in Europe, and they're still yet to. Um, mm. you know, they've, they've spent so much bloody money. Same as PSG, really. You know, they can flatten their domestic league because they've got infinite resources. Because they're owned by a them,
3: country, yeah. Yeah,
5: it's, it's sovereign, <laughs> with sovereign wealth, isn't it? But then you put them up against the big boys in Europe. It was, I can't remember who it was. City lost to earlier in the year, is it Leon or someone like that. They lost to Leon at home in the Champions League, and they can't fill the ground. It's like these. They are not at that level of a, a superpower yet. No. they're a very rich club, and they play brilliant football, and that is undisputable. But yeah. they are so far off being a Real Madrid or Barcelona.
3: A well, just a just a quick me- message to Wes Edens and uh, Nasif. Uh... Villa still fifth in the in the most uh, top tier title wins. We're above Manchester City, so uh, if you could just get your act together, just to make sure they don't close that gap and overtake us in the next decade, uh, that would Got be to save a bit of face. Really. That'd be much appreciated. We want to stay in the top five. Anyway, moving on to point three. Uh, the the finally the saga, the South American saga, has uh, or the Argentinian saga, should I be more specific? Mm-hmm. Has has ended with River Plate beating uh, Boca Juniors in Madrid. after extra time, uh, and they celebrated to the tune of It's a Long Way to Tipperary, (laughs) which... uh, is not a traditional South American anthem, is it? Not really. There is a link, although it's a bit of a weird one, because uh, The Long Way to Tipperary, the first coach of the Boca Juniors, the losers, uh, was a Tipperary man paddy mccarthy born in uh, county tip uh, this is back in the days uh, if you know anything about football and i'm sure uh, most of you know everything about football that's why you're listening to this podcast but there's a lot of people out there who know nothing about football just just log on to twitter and give yourself <laughs> five minutes your on there. <laughs> five minutes on Twitter will uh, will leave you with a conclusion that the majority of people know fuck all about football. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the history of uh, it's quite fascinating. How lots of uh, Scots and Irish bought football to South American countries uh, and you know Central America as well. I remember I had a Mexican. Uh, Flatmates a few years ago and she would always tell me her father was a complete football nut and he would tell her stories about essentially how scott scottish guy a few scottish guys bought football to mexico and it goes back to shipbuilding isn't it uh, back in the day I believe so
4: also the Welsh as well so there are yeah,
3: yeah. and
4: what what you will often see with uh, many South American teams and the only reason I know this is I had a gambling problem in my university days where I was obsessed with South American football <laughs> because it was on in the middle of the night um, <laughs> um, and basically you'd often see as you do uh, the, the colours of predominantly northern English towns or traditional yeah. shipbuilding towns so Sunderland and places like that where uh, yeah the, the shipbuilding went to South America and their skills went at South America and what do you do in your spare time as, as working men as they were in those days in, in England and uh, Ireland and Scotland, you, you set up a football team and so a lot of the lineages of,
3: of those clubs uh, trace back. And obviously the Scots played a big, big part in the uh, building the foundations of Aston Villa as well. Absolutely. The, the Lion is a, of a very Scottish uh, design.
4: Well, and that theme of industry often runs back and, you know, we don't need this to become a, a history lesson. But I think that you can see uh, that there are trends of, of, uh, of those roots of the Industrial Revolution and the big cities and, and the working uh, the working masses, as it was then. And how yeah, that drift of people formed some of the powerhouses that still exist today.
3: All of it. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> boy, it's <a> death. <laughs> This week uh, just gone was a, we had a second part meeting at Villa Fan consultation group you may remember a couple of podcasts ago we discussed Christian Perslow, the new Villa CEO's uh, first uh, meeting with the uh, Fan consultation group he came up with the idea that we would meet uh, you know the senior operation staff to uh, talk about uh, the minutia of uh, Villa issues uh so we met up again with about five people i think from villa discussed uh, the rest of the stuff uh the first thing I, I kept pushing i wanted an answer on what happened to these two european clubs that were meant to be our feeder clubs, so that we were going to share uh intel with that keith winas had promise would be more than likely signed up uh, in the summer just gone and they just basically turn their nose up and says it just doesn't work so that's been kiboshed so no european scandinavian feeder clubs for the villa we had a big meaty discussion on the whole catering queues and speeding up the half time thing they reckon there's no silver bullet for it
4: which is absolute rubbish
3: yeah because it's just the staff are so bloody casual is my uh, observations But uh, we're not going to, we're not going to, don't, don't go into a rant about this.
4: I can I'll rant separately (laughs) on it.
3: And then uh, they're working on a Wi-Fi solution. They've had a couple of the companies, uh, I think they have some kind of 4G network now, which is Vodafone, but they're trying to, they've met with EE and I think O2, although O2. (laughs)
4: Good luck with that. uh, Good luck with that one.
3: Yeah, I was down (laughs) last week. So we'll see what happens with that FA Cup game. It's going to be a cheapo one, uh, £10 adult tickets for Swansea, uh, seven seniors, uh, £5 for juniors. They had an offer to screen it live on TV, the the Villa Swansea game, which would have meant uh, a switch to Sunday, but they resisted it because they wanted that 3 p.m. Which is uh, was a good move uh, in my book, mm-hmm. anyway. Anyway, uh, check out this week. Uh, the notes will be out. One final thing I did uh, contest about this Avtv overseas uh, stream, which uh, was out of sync yet again. The audio uh, for the Forest game, and I said, "Well, what about doing a uh, taking the a pound off because you are charging a pound more than any other championship team and making it five pound for the individual game for the for two thousand nineteen. But basically, they tell me to fuck off.
1: Anyway, uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> they said no. Just before we move on, a quick shout out to uh, the patrons that have signed up in the last few days. Uh, thank you very much to them. Tim Murphy, John Gillis, Charles Rushley, Jacob Sharnick, uh, Philip Linz, Jonathan Aikins. Kieran Connolly and Virginia Simpson. Also, uh, thanks to Patrick Downs and Lou Roberts for upping their pledge as well. For 2019, we are definitely uh, we're going to up the game on the patrons and have regular podcasts and extra content because this is the way we can build the podcast per se and the website and actually keep it going. Because been deliberating, uh, is it worth keeping My Almanac going? We obviously enjoy it a lot, but at the end of the day, you know. The concept of uh, providing content for free has never really been much of a sustainable model. So uh, much appreciated to everybody who's supported us in the past and the present and the future. And please do... become a patron by going to myomansed.com and uh, clicking on the patron link and one immediate thing we're looking forward to is upgrading the equipment of the podcast so we can actually uh, have a cleaner track so we can edit it much quicker and get the show out quicker but also do have time to do an extra show that we could probably do about 10 extra shows in the uh, the time it takes to do one at the moment. Hopefully by the time you uh, listen to this podcast we'll finally have the uh, My Men Said podcast t-shirt out, which is uh, the album cover. I used to have uh, an edition of this uh, about three years ago which sold well, actually. So uh, this one's updated and uh, a better one. It's it's the kind of design that will last forever. There's no manager's names on it or anything like that.
4: I mean, uh, what I find with Christmas jumpers is you need one every year. So you should go to villaunderground.com slash Christmas. Exactly.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> I'll leave you guys That's to finish off. That's a
4: great idea. What about I'll you, Christopher?
3: <laughs> I'm going to bookmark it for every year <laughs> i'll leave you guys to finish off the show right let's get on to uh talking about the uh the baggies game it was actually a rare game this uh the two the two two at hawthorn's because it was one of the first times uh in recent weeks that we've actually given up uh, possession uh, baggies ended up with 52 percent of the possession we had 48 i mean from the game i watched it seemed that we were bossing it most of the time so that possession may just be them passing it around the back or you know whatever kind of tenuous but it was a pretty even game I think overall Mm. Uh, although I think we just had slightly more chances and probably the better chances throughout the game. I think it went as a lot of the pundits would would have expected
5: it to you know it's two teams who are pretty good going forward well from the the stats it's the two high scoring teams but defensively two teams that are there for the taking and it kind of was was proven in the end
3: yeah i think i think with hind i think at the start of the game if you told me it's going to be too old then you know you think yeah that's probably to be expected but let's say midway second half i thought we had control of the game we were obviously two one up and uh, the insect missed a couple of uh I agree. well he squandered a couple of chances sorry the insect i'm referring to uh Tammy Abraham. I, I think we mentioned the alternate commentary of the blues game highlights where where the guy <laughs> who's doing the commentary refers to him as uh, an insect, i.e. Uh, like a praying mantis. And he does look like he has the <laughs> same kind of limb, <laughs> the limb structure of he a praying does. mantis. Yes. And uh, his, uh, his limbs are actually, the praying mantis's extendable legs were actually mentioned by uh, Dean Smith after the game because he was praising him for scoring the other week with his extendable legs. But this time they kind of got in the way. The most glaring miss was the one where he was just po- kept pointing, pointing where he wanted it from Balassi, And he was so off balance from all this pointing. And I mean, come on, Bellassi's, uh decent level player he'll know how to cross it to you and he's been one of the best deliverer of the balls uh, so far this season for Villa it was a simple ball to play in as well and because he was, he was so uh kind of worked up pointing 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 wanting the ball that when the ball finally came he, he, all his limbs were all over the place but I think if that went in it's game over
4: it was interesting watching Albion up close actually because I thought that they, we, we were two quite different teams I think that there was two sides that that really did play as teams but i thought that dillering yeah. in terms of individuals had had more quality across across the pitch and i, I my my reading of it was very similar around the thing like the Abraham miss, but I think there were key moments in it. You know, if McGinn's fierce strike hits the back of the net uh, in the first half, if Abraham doesn't scuff his shot in the second, and also you know the the two when Grealish Grealish and was it Abraham as well? He got cleaned out for the penalty appeal in the second half. I think yep. if those decisions go the other way, I think that would have been a much more straightforward looking looking game. As it happened, um, it, it panned out differently.
3: Yeah, and also if Hutton didn't get mugged uh, before their first goal, basically he got the ball and he just needed to clear it.
4: Yeah.
5: Just put it in the stand. That goal reminded me of the year we got relegated. It's same it was one here. of those just comedy of errors from start to finish. Yeah.
4: I think that's the thing with uh, with Hutton and that we had a we had a very brief chat uh, last week on, on the pod in and last couple of weeks perhaps I read, you know, the the, the, the rightful recognition of that fantastic goal that Hudson scored against the Blues, but Al Mohamed in my view at least is is the more complete player. You know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think in the system that we play at the moment, it brings us more balance and, and the, 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 the Albion goal back at the got them back into the game. Positionally, there were big question marks over Hutton because the guy got the run on him. And then when, when, as you just mentioned, he recovered, anything but what he chose to do, I think, would have been the better outcome. Uh, The only other thing I would pick up on um, defensively for us was that uh, Chester had a good game. But he he was, every opportunity, um, I had a pretty good vantage point from where I was, every opportunity where the ball went dead or the ball went further up the field, he was trying to work some movement into his knee. He really struggled at times and it was, um, it caught my eye because, well, I had the opportunity to, to really watch him, I think. and. It, it just worried me, especially as the second half wore on, that he was his movement was was he was really struggling.
3: Well, uh, some good news for you because Elmo uh, more than likely will be playing right back in the next game because uh, Neil Taylor will be out for a few weeks with yeah. his uh, ha- hammy. So we're reverting back to the uh, the the, uh, the Hutton left back, uh, Elmo right back setup uh, that obviously played the majority of last season.
5: I don't, I don't, I really don't mind that, you know, because I think actually Al yeah, Muhammad has been one of our most consistent performers mm. this year. You know, in a season when so many of our players have been inconsistent, he's actually
3: had one of his you know better spells in a Villa shirt. What about the loss of the balance of having a left footer on the uh, in the left back position?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think the the thing that helps us now is you look at the guys we've got in wide positions. You know, Ghazi and Balassi, and even you know, obviously we've got Adoma. We've actually got genuine winger options, so you don't necessarily have to worry about your full backs bombing on as much. You know, they they can kind of um let the wingers do the work and pin the opposition back a little bit, which certainly someone like Balassi um, and out of the way, Al has been playing in the last couple of games, which mm. I think he's, you know, vastly improved. I think Smith will be reasonably confident that actually teams will be playing against Villa a bit worried about bombing on too far cuz certainly with the pace of those two yeah. we could rip, rip teams apart on the break
3: people were, were kind of moaning about Balassi and saying he would look tired but i thought you know he was he was giving them problems all the time and obviously mm. uh, you know he just he was just to so, so obviously freshen up a bit uh, at the end i think that's his his style as well and he's still you know easing himself into
5: games you know i think it's good you know after this game you know we've we've got the break between the Stoke game and then another reasonable break. There's no midweek games for a few weeks now, which I think will really help Smith, A, tactically and probably with injuries, just to let people have a bit of a rest.
4: Yeah. What well, what I would say about Balassi is that he was completely overshadowed by an unbelievable performance from Al Ghazi. I think that the yeah. the benchmark for, for that ga- game came on the other flank with um you know this this Dutchman who's appeared to out of out of nowhere the last couple of weeks that I, I you know, only really started to appreciate at the Albion game. Um, we saw a glimpse of it against Forrest. Um how how technically fantastic he is i I thought some of some of his movement off the ball he's got this um quite a not not unique necessarily but quite a distinctive upright running style as well that uh, a couple of people have dangerously referred to as being ronaldo-esque but it does have that it's a noticeable thing
3: he's got that metrosexual look as well (laughs) well
4: well, you term it you term it as you as you like um (laughs) I, I, i think from my point of view is that the what what we saw you know, that fantastic layoff from Grealish for for his second goal we've got cleaned out by the way uh, and a real um he, that fantastic body shaping there's a great still on on one of the newspapers used of uh, of the ball just having been released from for his strike and it's it 's such an arrowed pure hit um, Wait, so he,
3: he just cut through it it 's like a kind of a golf shot or yeah. something
4: and it was uh, i mean it was unstoppable from from johnston 's point of view but there are there are other moments across the game for Ghazi where Now he's got a bit of confidence, you see it coming.
3: And I think that's what the goals gave him, but if you take away those goals, there were some real neat touches, uh, as you say, throughout the game, which uh, you said earlier on about uh, both teams played like teams, but you could see that Villa had a bit more quality and a bit more, let's say, panache, and El El Galzi definitely had that. And uh, we we spoke a little bit about him uh, in the last episode, and... uh, as I said, he was good. The first game against Reading, you thought, technically he's really good, really sound, very comfortable. But then he just seemed to kind of drop out of the picture because I don't think he was really, he, he went kind of missing in, let's say, the tougher games where we needed a Midfield, you know, to really chase yeah. around and yeah, uh, yeah. be present and dictate, and I think that's what they've probably been focusing on—is just you know giving them a kick up the backside and saying, "Look, this is yeah. this is the English game, mate." But he's but he's strong, he's physically, and he's stronger, physically isn't he? strong, and uh, if he's confident and he starts to believe it. Then uh, it's going to be very dangerous.
4: I think there's one final thing I'd say on Ghazi is that uh, you know we have all the you know, get all the banter and, and <laughs> sitting where I was sat, you, you heard a, a lot of anti-Villa things. But there was two or three times across the game where you can hear the, the collective murmur of football fans appreciating something that was very, very good. One was the goal. And you can hear I yeah. you know, heard a number of Albion fans. You know we were all sat down the line of the goal where we were as well, and you, you can't help but say well, that was a great strike. But there was two or three yeah. tricks that he pulled where he completely skinned the fullback. Yeah. Yep. and where people just were going, well, you know, that's just excellent, you know, and you can't...
3: Give them give them the league title now. <laughs> well, you know. Get them out of this bloody division. Why delay the inevitable? They've got this <laughs> Dutch master, a throwback to the 70s. It's going to be total football for yeah. the next six months.
0: Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: Speaking of total football and the high press, which where, uh, mm. obviously, Dean the Dean Smith School comes from, you should go on YouTube, Google... Uh, Holland's high press 1974. I think they used it a lot in the 74 World Cup. It's hilarious. You'll see the high press like you've never seen it before. It it, it resembles more like, you know, like kids when they're five years old and you see them in the playground and everybody's chasing the football (laughs) and nobody holds position. Everybody just chases the ball. It's a rush. Well, this is like, you know, you, when I, you know, you grow up, you hear about this team from, this, you know, the Dutch team in the 70s, this total football. And then you see this clip, which I hadn't seen. I only saw it this week. And it's the first time I've seen this 74 team, apart from goal highlights. Mm. And the ball breaks free, like, for example, a German player gets it. And then suddenly there's six Dutch players running at him. And it's like, <laughs> fuck. He's <It's> just kicking anyway. <laughs> literally is hilarious. And there's one bit where the, there's a, I think ball drops down from a fifty-fifty, and there's like one opposition player going for it, and then suddenly eight Dutch players running for that ball. So even if that opposition player gets there first, he's totally surrounded, and he can't release the ball. And all, all you got to do is obviously dink it over them upfield, and you know they're through with a kind of a five against one scenario. But uh, it's fascinating to see the press in its purest form, which is uh, basically they should have re- renamed it Bumrush because that's what it is <laughs> essentially. <laughs> they wouldn't have lasted five minutes against McGinney Esther. he would have flattened the lot of them. <laughs> But it is like a swarm. It's it's quite fascinating to uh, to watch. Well, we've we've kind of discussed the actual goal that uh, obviously sealed the deal. Fifty percent goalkeepers, well, hundred percent goalkeepers' problem. But obviously, uh, the history books will say it was a handball and the referee fucked up. But
5: uh... the the thing was as well, the the, the two points I took from that get the game would have been. The two goals were actually very avoidable defensively. If you take Nyland and the, the refereeing decisions aside from it, they're both appalling defending. I mean, the, mm. Codgers doesn't track back his man. The fact that the cross even comes in for the goal is appalling. The first goal is a shambles from start to finish. Fifth worst, again.
4: fifth worst defense in the division, and that that's something that's going to be rectified.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, I'm I'm not somebody who. Uh, I mean, a few seasons ago, ten minutes to go, and Villa are one 0 up. You know, it's uh, or they're drawing, and you know there's going to be a goal from the opposition. Mm. Uh, it's that that wasn't like being a nervous disposition. That was just it's Fact. just. Common knowledge fact. Yeah. Recently, I don't have that feeling. This game, when we missed chance after chance to go three-one, it was coming. Knew, it was it? coming, and it yeah. was literally was one of those games where you knew it was coming because they, you know, yeah, they, they were kind like of, that this of season. They have like a physicality about them, uh, the Albion, and uh, you just knew it would eventually. Uh, crack because under pressure once nylan's under pressure it's not a place you wanted to see him
5: yeah but the, the, the big positive i take from this and the runner games is that we've you know in the space of a few weeks we've gone to derby middlesbrough and west brom who've all been in form and we've taken seven points yeah. out of a possible nine which yeah. whichever way you look at it i know everyone's annoyed to not beat the baggies that's championship form
3: what do you mean championship form that's what we're in winning the championship form <laughs> Well, we'll get we'll get on to that in a second. Uh, just to pick up the loose ends of this game, Grealish went off uh, injured. Uh, I think he tweeted that he hopes it's not too bad. Uh, Smith seems to uh, imply that it's a sore shin that he's had for uh, several weeks now, and he's just been uh, getting through it. Well, hopefully, it's not a, an issue because I think. he's been getting kicked all over the field hasn't he all season so yeah. I'm not surprised I think we can survive the Taylor thing obviously uh, you know with Hudson there and obviously hudson has got through his ban and all that kind of stuff uh, it's, it's more if we had a I thought Axel uh, Tuunzebi showed himself to be good on the ball again mm, uh, there was very com- very cool he's growing isn't he yeah. every week he's growing in, into his role
5: you can start to see the kind of the player that we, we saw there was a few, a few moments
3: thing. where it was almost like uh, Beckham bar at the back getting out of tight corners and uh, not panicking at all
4: no he's very cool he doesn't panic and there's, like you say there was a couple of times where I think if it had been a couple of seasons ago that you would have expected the inevitable dispossession and, and yeah. on goal and in fact there was a couple of times in the album game where you thought where the bloody hell is he going to get out of this and he, and he found a battle just mullered his way through with sheer strength he's a good, really good player actually
3: After the game uh, there was a bit of an uh, issue at the train station yeah. getting out I think fans were held back despite the police saying that the the next train was like six minutes away and then uh, you know they were still there for like you know 20 minutes or so uh, one fan said and then uh, everybody pushed through and there was a lot of pushing and uh, apparently got crush and quite serious and you know type of thing that sh- really should be avoided but uh, if you were there and you have any uh, insights do let me know cuz uh, no doubt this will be brought up with the police uh, in the next few weeks or you know after christmas should i say but it would be good to have uh, more first hand uh, opinions uh, well, to see yeah. which ones obviously all tie up
4: i mean all i could say is that i saw it and, and my first reaction was thank god i don't have to go in get into that mess because i drove i think my only worry about we all understand why the police want to well want to properly manage crowds in and out of of the stadium after a derby we get that for me i'm always concerned when you start kettling people through narrow angles and um when you can't get through at the other end for me that's just it's asking for trouble and i think like you said i think there's, there's something to be learned there
3: yeah. Uh right, before we close with the where were you when we were good, uh, just a quick look at the uh, the form table. Mm. Cuz the last 6 games are obviously unbeaten and you'd you'd take that all, you know, every day of the week mm. at the start and obviously uh, we've pretty much in every game played uh not only top half teams but the majority have been uh, top 6 teams. The interesting thing is, you look at you keep looking at the table, and when you hear like we're six games unbeaten, we've beaten a lot of these top teams. You're looking for like a physical shift in the league table, but when you look at the league table, there actually hasn't really been one. We're kind of we're still four points off the playoffs, and uh, but when you look at that top two, and it's when you look at the current form over those six unbeaten games that uh, Villa are third with fourteen points, obviously uh, four wins, two draws. But it's the two teams in the top of the league in, the, in those automatic spots that are actually in the top two of the current form. So in those six games, we haven't actually caught up on the top two. We've and, lost ground uh, and, and we've actually lost ground. Mm. And that is the uh, the concern in terms of the, the main obsession, uh, to uh, coin Dean Smith's phrase, is uh, automatic promotion. I mean, I, I'm pretty, you know, at this stage, I'm pretty confident we'll finish in the playoffs. But uh, while it is an obsession, uh, we should still aim for those... Uh, top spots so Norwich we're, you know we're, we're like four wins away from going above them which is still quite a lot to pull back it's a lot back. to
4: make up because the, the reality is that you've got to win those four games and they've got to lose four games and that, that, yeah. that would be a, not, I won't say an unprecedented collapse in form but I suppose on, on current um, performances it would be a serious turnaround and I think that what what we've got I mean, to, Norwich
3: should be flying for weeks haven't they we yeah. hope
4: for a collapse of one of these teams
3: Leeds they've got it in them We've still got to play them twice, so yes. we can claw back on them, obviously, a bit quicker. Leeds are specialists at collapsing, but we'll find out. I mean, one thing I'd say, you look at the second half of the season and from now to
5: Christmas, Villa have still got to play all of the seven sides above them at home. Mm-hmm. So, so our home form is going to be key mm-hmm. here, especially you know Leeds before Christmas. I'd go as far as to say already that's a must win just to get some ground yeah. back you know the, the, you know we, I think we've got Norwich right towards the end of the season that could be an absolutely enormous game
3: I think Dean Smith though suggested that we have and and I feel the same we have got a we've got it in us the way we've yeah. been playing as long as we don't mess up on injuries to go on a long run and to start beating teams because what happens after Christmas once we Negotiate this period is we suddenly have a run of games which we started off the league. When you looked at the start of this season, you thought oh, that's a nice little entree into the uh, the season. We've we've got the easy fixtures first, and we'll obviously finish the season with the tougher fixtures. But we'll play most of them at home. So if we get we carry on that momentum, keep winning uh, and picking up points throughout the rest of the Christmas period, and then really get our teeth into the early part of uh, the year, and, and you know win the majority of those games, then I think that's how we kind of haul back. And then the final part of the season would just be us, you know, having to beat those teams in and around the race to uh, obviously maximise our position. Yeah, I mean you look at I mean I'm looking at them now and you, you think January, you know, the turn of the
5: year, if we can be within touching distance over the Christmas season, we, we entertain QPR Hull and Ipswich and then go to Wigan in January. Now if if Villa have aspirations to go up automatically, you're almost looking at January going, You should be winning every game yeah. You know, we're know we still yet to win one of these double headers with two home games in mm. a week this season. That's kind of let us down. That's one thing actually last year we were actually very good at. We had a couple of times through the season under Bruce where we'd have a seven-day period with three games and we'd get those three wins. And that tends to be the moments where you get that real upward trajectory in the table. We've kind of tended to win one, draw one, win one, draw one. But as you said, I, I do think we've got the, the players and the form to actually go on a very long sustainable one. thing I would say unlike last season with the way we're playing and the style we have Mm. I don't necessarily think when we lose a game we're going to implode like we did last year I think we'd turn it around and as long as you get back on the horse and win the next week you get back on track last season which seemed to be whenever we'd had a bad result it'd knock us for six for two or three weeks
4: Do you know what I, do you know what I just chip in with that looking at the form table is that, that there are there are some massive positives to be had here that you know we're talking about going to some teams who are further down the table and a very important month ahead we've gone to Middlesbrough beaten them 3-0 we've gone to Derby and we've beaten them 3-0 two teams who I think are probably in their minds are probably vying for that final automatic spot and being in and around the playoffs there are other teams hunting that hunting the playoff spots but I think that we're the team who you look at the fact that we've uh, you know Forest was a, was a late equaliser that was a game we should have won really the Albion was a scabby fortuitous equaliser from their point of view and I think that the narrative it it changes our feeling and our mood but we should be optimistic that this is a very different Aston Villa team a very different feeling around the club and, and, you know, you only have to look at some of the post-match interviews with players like Balassi, with Hurahan with El Ghazi, they're, they're not turning up to draw or maybe scab a win. You know, they're very, yeah. um very positive in their outlook.
5: The attitude is to yeah. win and oh, to win absolutely. well. Yeah. This isn't a case of we, what we want to grind out a 1-0 like pre, you know, under the, the previous regime. This is a case, you know, we're going to go to Derby and we are going to play them off mm. the park. We're going to go to Middlesbrough, we'll play them off the park and we'll go to West Brom and we'll give them a bloody good mm. game. I don't think I don't think there'll be any team in that division will be relishing the prospect of coming to Villa Park with the way we play.
3: And uh, the statistic that actually backs all that up is uh, when you look at the goals uh, in the last six games in the form table, and we've actually scored over twice the amount of Leeds have, even though Leeds have got that extra point. Than we have, uh, we've scored nineteen. We've scored the most uh, out of any team in the last six games. We've got nineteen, but Norwich, interestingly enough, also have eighteen. Mm. So they're sharpshooters and they're a little bit tighter at the back. They've only conceded nine leads, they've conceded six. But it is the defence and if we can sort that out. I think a a snazzy transfer or two, well two transfers, uh, well two or three probably. A keeper definitely and then obviously uh, a centre back and a left back. But I think there's the scope there to improve both of those positions in terms of uh, centre back and left back.
5: I think if if we tighten up at the back, I I don't see the way we play Villa not scoring. I don't, I don't, I haven't, I'm yet to see a team who are going to be so solid at the back. And the only team who did look like that were Middlesbrough and they got torn to pieces. Yeah, well, they
3: they were the best defence. I think we discussed this on the last show. By quite some way, weren't they? So there's no, there's no, there's no team in this league that uh, we can't blow through.
4: I think that we need to get our heads around how, how the defensive setup's going to work and whether we're going to stick with the forward we got or, or roll someone in. I think that if we're going to have a mature grown-up honest conversation for anyone who's watched football for any length of time, I think if we we've got to address the goalkeeper, you know uh, we said it last week. We said it. We, we've we've been fair, I think. We said it the week
3: before. We said it a week before that as well. We we
4: have, and, and it's not. I think it's a cumulative thing now. That, that the guy, the guys, pulled off a couple of decent saves, but he's he's he makes me nervous. Uh, he he makes the team nervous, and I think that if you're if you're one of those top six teams we're talking about in current form or in the league, you just say right, how do we hurt Aston Villa? I would be circling Nyland uh, all day long.
3: And just one final thing on that point. This team, as we've just said, are capable of going on a long, and not only unbeaten run, but winning run. And we would have been on a six-game winning run if it wasn't for Nyland because we would have beaten Forest. And we would have beaten the baggies because our goalkeeper let us down in both of those games. And as I said uh, previously, uh, many weeks ago, there's only one thing that worries me about this team getting promoted. And that's the goalkeeper. He could compromise it all. He could definitely, and maybe he already has, compromised automatic promotion. And this needs to be addressed. There's none of this, oh, give him a few more games to get confidence. It's not about confidence. He's an international keeper and he's, he's just not up for this league. Absolutely.
4: It's not personal. It's a reflection of his performances. It's not his fault he's being picked, but he is not of the standard that we need to get out of this division.
3: And it's not his fault that it's the not. rest of the keepers in, in the squad are, are bordering on crap as well. I mean, <laughs> I, I still have nightmares. Even though he saved a penalty and kept a clean sheet, that was the most woeful performance of goalkeeping I've seen uh, since Enkelman uh, from the uh, Portuguese chap. Yeah. I think he'll be back to Madrid he'll be back to Madrid won't that's he at a thought so, yeah. come January I think what a waste of a loan signing that yeah. was anyway uh, that's enough of that right we'll go uh, into the where were you when we were good which basically is a look back on uh, a moment uh, or well a game is it a game or is it moments it's a game really isn't it, it could be either really well it's a game this time right then and this one was actually suggested by Matt Walski who actually emailed this one I think he's getting all uh, excited about Christmas games Villa over the Christmas period and he casts his mind back to uh, going as he says in his own words uh, I'm going to go for a game that might not immediately spring to mind but it's one of those where the performance of Savo Milosevic was truly sublime is there many games that stand out that where Milosevic was truly sublime anyway it's uh, it's Coventry <laughs> at home uh, December 1995 break it fairly. Johnson
2: Milosevic wanted to take it Johnson says I'll have it a goal in 12 minutes from Tommy Johnson for Aston Villa and Savo Milosevic almost took it off him. Johnson made the break inside that's where the big number nine says well I'll have it if you want and Johnson said get out of my way yellow card Shown to Kevin Richardson, he's off. booked in the opening moments for flying uh, challenger Mark Draper. Kevin Richardson, the former Aston Villa player, has now been dismissed by the referee. A change in goal for Aston Villa at half time. Nigel speak making his first appearance of the season because Mark Bosnich has picked up a hamstring injury. Draper picking up the threads again, finding Charles more convincingly this time by Noel Whelan, deep in defence Tommy Johnson it's a good cross, Milošević yes! at long, long last Samo Milošević makes himself at home at Aston Villa let's get it right, it's far from his first goal for the club but it is his first goal for the club here in front of the home fans Salako finds Telford, Dublin's there and that's 2-1 Dion Dublin halves the deficit and revives Coventry City's interest in the game Thank you all. Taylor, Draper Milosevic Now he started he's not going to stop 2 for Savo Milosevic 3 for a delighted Aston Villa and their fans Greg running into trouble in this way Townsend and Milosevic he's got his hat he's filled this bridge today alright Savo Milosevic makes it 4-1 for Aston Villa and 3 for him And who knows what a landmark this could prove to be in the Aston Villa career of this young 22-year-old from Serbia. Derby victories always raise the feel-good factor. And nobody in town will feel better than Sava Velosovic tonight. Aston Villa's record and rather speculative signing has struck gold at Villa Park for the first time
3: brian little was the manager the subtext of this game was uh, milosevic was scoring but he still never scored at villa park ron atkinson was returning to villa park after he was sacked uh, obviously the previous year he'd won the league cup with aston villa and suddenly he found himself managing coventry and back in the day the great thing about villa coventry at villa park was villa had never lost against coventry at villa park and it was that run that you just wanted to keep on going until your dying day. But unfortunately who fucked that one up? Was it John Gregory? I can't remember. I think it was, wasn't it? In the was it the Cup Game? Yeah. If I remember rightly. I think it was the Moldovan
5: Cup Game. And then we and then we got
3: battered by them one of the yeah. years. Didn't we? That was the start of the downward spiral, I think. That was like somebody had taken the foundations from underneath us and uh, it was downhill from there.
5: Until that amusing afternoon when we relegated them. Yeah, God bless Paul Merson's right foot.
3: That was probably the start of their downfall, uh, which they've never recovered from.
5: No, I think we were, we were around the top four then, weren't we? December 95, obviously, with that, I think at that point, we were, we'd were we already started the season really well. We were consistent. We were really good at the back. York and Milosevic were obviously starting to click mm, at that yeah. point. Obviously, York had already started the season really well. Coventry weren't great. And obviously, we, we came up against... You know, a future Villa player in Dion Dublin who actually scored that day. Kevin Richardson, our former captain, was obviously playing for for Coventry that day. And if I remember rightly at that time, I think we were, um, it was just before we, you know, we were kind of in the middle of our Coca-Cola yeah. Cup run, you know, en route to Wembley Glory. Which, that which was the when year Milosevic
4: after. shined.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But had Milosevic... Got his nickname at that point, Misalosovic. I believe he had yeah, by then, yeah, yeah, I think he had. I think, it, I think it had been well-earned by that point. He came to the club and and I think he's on public record as saying his target was 25 goals for the season because that's what mm-hmm. he was kind of averaging uh, yeah, back yeah. Uh, in Yugoslavia. If it was Yugoslavia then, I think it was, wasn't it? I think it yeah. was, wasn't it? From Partizan yeah. Belgrade, where he was the record signing, wasn't he, at the time? They would always joke that he had no right foot, so we would spent, uh, was it three million, which, you know, was... a let's say it's what's 3 million 3.5 million then it's probably what 10 12 is nowadays would you say probably more to be honest for a for yeah. a european strike and he was short. so left footed i think i'd never seen anybody more one footed at that stage
4: no, you never watched me play then, David. I was incredibly... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a wand, though. Because
3: my dad would always say uh, he couldn't believe that professional footballers went two-footed because he always made out that he was two-footed. And he's, he always saw it as like a dis- disgrace. But he's right, because you, you look at more and more footballers nowadays and you, you can't believe, how can you call yourself professional? Like, if you've got a lazy eye, you patch, it, you patch up the good mm. one so the other one gets better. You'd do everything as a child to be both footed but all these all these kids slip through now with one foot. But Milosevic was so left foot. But the irony was in this game to get back to the game to break his Villa Park duck. Uh, I think his first two goals were scored with his head.
4: Yeah, that's great.
3: Yeah, a sublime finish for the third. And he and he actually he should have for had it. a fourth. There was
5: yeah. I uh, was a real Milosevic <laughs> moment before he <laughs> made his hat trick, where he has a tap in from the penalty spot and drag somehow manages to drag it wide, which is what. Everybody for the previous three months had been watching. But
3: also, uh, Dwight York had a goal chalked off for offside, and in the Mm -hmm. build-up to that, because I think it was Milosevic who uh, played him through, Milosevic had his shirt tugged in the penalty area, and that would have been a penalty uh, if the referee had actually seen it. So... uh, there could have been more than four for sure and I mean the best goal in my book was Tom, and that, probably man of the match, I mean the goals obviously uh, are, always make it the easy choice to make Milosevic Mas- <laughs> <Masilosovic. laughs> Milosevic man of the match but Tommy Johnson was a real live wire throughout the whole of that game and his, his opening goal was uh, fantastic where he just picked it a bit of a kind of Bjarnason against Wolves type distance and he went on this kind of se- solo mazy kind of run and finished with a plum to make it 1-0 and then uh, a few minutes later he got Kevin Richardson, former Villa captain who obviously a big run had uh, taken mm-hmm. from Villa to Coventry, uh, got him sent off for two uh, yellers so we went in at half time 1-0 up and then obviously one man up and i think richardson had a broken nose when he went off because uh they were saying that he was off for dangerous play and i think ron big ron post-match was saying oh the irony is he's got done for dangerous play but he's gone off with a broken nose
4: anything else i mean what my, my observations i mean just to pick up on, on those things whether it was a the formation was quite i always remember back in the 95 season that villa, villa played this wing back five five three two type of system with yeah. Um, Wright and Charles that had to be honest had mixed successes in the, in the end for, for Little but th- there's a, a nice balance in the team you know you had Southgate who was essentially a defensive midfielder who had just broken into the England team at that point he's a year away from missing that infamous penalty against Germany don't forget alongside McGrath uh, Ekiog, uh, probably as he was coming into his, his peak Villa years and then the midfield you know you've got Ian Taylor um, you know, re- really, really looking, showing all the best of his qualities, and when he was a, a, a Villa, uh, alongside a, a young Lee Hendry, who was quite tenacious then, and Mark Draper, who um, we've, you know, we since know to be a better.
3: He was, was he the record signing at the time, Draper? Uh,
4: Draper, we we spent a lot of money to get him from Leicester. I don't know whether he was record yeah. signing. Um,
5: I think Milosevic was that some, wasn't hmm. he? I think Milosevic pipped him a few weeks later. Um. Uh, and obviously we had Andy Townsend in the middle as well. Now, that was probably those three in the middle, Townsend, Taylor and Draper. You look at you know a, a balanced midfield and those three could do everything. Mm, yeah. yeah, and also... Set- now, they could all tackle, they could all pass, they could all score And ball. also
3: uh, Southgate took that three-man defence to his England... Uh, he did. World, World Cup uh, journey as well. Do you miss, uh, just finally, do you miss playing the Cov... Because it, it it is obviously a local uh, game. I mean, I, I used I didn't mind playing them back in the day just because of that record when we were unbeaten at home. It was it was just it was all about obviously keeping that going until it went kind of crash bang uh, in the end. They were one of those teams, I suppose, because I was a bit younger. I never really had a view on them
5: particularly. There was there was it was never I never even saw it as a rivalry because yeah. they were all, because they were obviously at that point we were a far superior mm. side. It, it never really seemed like a particularly fierce rivalry I and mean, we we were discussing earlier we, we saw the that like the attendance the ground was half mm. empty for the game so it wasn't exactly a big crowd pull yeah. or i always used to um, think it was
4: a big game for coventry and, and and as and it was sort of coming into the years of where you know I'd, I'd probably been a season ticket holder as, as a kid for a couple of seasons before 95 that um that they were always a team for me as i was growing up who were almost about to get relegated or they would just stay up on the last day they were always in that mix uh, and, yeah. and one of the key memories, I suppose, would be fast forwarding a few years would be, would be the season that we relegated them, you know, that they were, you know, that in classic Coventry style, they were, they were, they were clinging on and they were tuning up at half time, Villa turned it round, and it was Juan Pablo Angel's uh, first goal for the club after some, you know, it was a, it was a magical performance from Merson on that day. And that, those are the kind of, uh, I, know, was, I think, I remember Villa fans reveling in the dark, the dark arts and the, the macabre if you like of that day because that they went down holding their signs of of will be back and sadly from a football point of view that they 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 haven't and their club's been um, Do
3: you think Villa fans subtle. wallow in the uh, despair of others more than they uh, celebrate the victories of their own? We've suffered <laughs> <think> we've they... <laughs> suffered
4: enough despair of our own. I think that if there is such a thing as karma <laughs> then it certainly has come round.
3: <laughs> I mean back you know back in the Villa's uh, League Cup win the year before in 94 was actually the first trophy to come to the Midlands, uh, since mm. Coventry won the FA Cup against Spurs, which was a classic 3 uh, 2 against Spurs. John Sillett was the manager and and when you looked at John Sillett, you can not I mean he's like he looks old school, but you couldn't imagine him being a manager in, in today's football, especially in the top two tiers. I think it's it's
5: just uh, Coventry are a sort of you know, it's a sign of the, the general decline, you know, in West Midlands football, really. Yeah. you look at these teams that used to be relative forces, you know, Villa Albion, Coventry, all languishing. You know, I wouldn't wish what's happened to Coventry on any club or supporters. I think they've just been running to the yeah. ground by truly appalling yeah. owners they haven't even got their
3: own ground potentially next season.
5: No, it's, the, it's a rugby yeah. stadium again, isn't it? Now, um, I mean, it would be quite fun to, to get them in the cup just to take an army to uh, to the Rico as much as it's an absolutely soulless mm. stadium. But, you know, they managed to take, I think it was like 40,000 to Wembley last season for a Auto Glass Trophy, or whatever it's called this year. So there's still a fan base there, but I think there's such a detachment between the club and the the city over there that it's um it's a real sort of sorry state of affairs. Yeah. You know, will they will they ever be back to where they want to be? Who knows? You know, I think it's, if they did, it would be a real great comeback story. But they're certainly not one of those teams that I sort of hold the same sort of local uh, resentment for as the likes of Blues or any of the other you know the other rivals because they're so. So far down the pecking order now, they've obviously fallen below Warsaw.
3: As I said uh, at the start of, of this segment, Villa versus Coventry was the only Premier League derby uh, in the West Midlands. For quite yeah, some time yeah. as well, wasn't it? There isn't one at the moment. To to, no. to back up what you've said about the decline of West Midlands football. If Villa do go up, I mean, I I wouldn't mind if the baggies go up with us or, or Forest, you know, even even though that's technically East Midlands, but it would be good to get Midlands teams back in the Premier League. Mm, two European winners. I looked at the Premier League table, uh, and apart from that, top six seven. Bournemouth. I was looking at Bournemouth's situation. They hadn't won in the six games before they played Liverpool but they were eighth. And you're just thinking, what kind of league is this? How can you remain top eight after losing six games, after fifteen, just 15 games? I mean, it's that league is so uh, there for the taking for anybody like Villa or Forest to get their act together. They can land in that league and finish top 10 if they get their act together.
5: I mean, even taking just Villa aside, the second city should have at least one good Premier League football club. And you look at like geographically, and we've discussed this before, but you look at the the teams or even the towns that have overtaken Birmingham in the Premier Division, you know, we're getting blown out of the water by Bournemouth and Leicester, Brighton, yeah. Watford, Cardiff, Palace, Burnley, even really
3: small places like Huddersfield. Yeah. Well Bournemouth Stadium it's shocking. You know, it's not even twelve thousand. That tells you all you need to know. And you know, they didn't build Grand Central station for this, put it that way. Right. On that note as uh, I will be using Grand Central Station to get out of this city uh, in a few days' time for a week. As well as this show uh, coming to you, I will also get out an interview with the author of Ticket to the Moon, which is the rise and fall of Aston Villa around, obviously, the European Cup years, what led up to it, and then how it kind of uh, spiraled into decline after it. Heartily recommended because it's the author, Richard Sydenham, had access to, uh, I think he had a couple of days where he could just look through all the uh, like the storage room of the which held all the board notes and all the records. So he got to source that and had access to all the transfer fees and the minutes to the meetings. So it's all there in black and white. It's definitely worth a read. I've interviewed him and I will be rolling that out as a podcast uh, very shortly after you listen to this. So until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. See you later.
0: My old man said...
5: Our obsession is is to get into the top two this season or the top six if we can't make the top two.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com